0: welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I'm your host, Eric Fisher, and this is the show where I talk to the people behind the productivity. This week, I'm excited to share with you a conversation I had with Eric Zimmer. He's the host of The One You Feed podcast. And in this conversation, we talk about the meaning behind the title, The One You Feed, as well as talking about mindfulness, good habits, reinforcing positive momentum and motivation moving forward, and much more. I had a great time talking with Eric. I always have a great time talking with another Eric, for that matter. So I know you're going to enjoy this conversation with Eric Zimmer. Well, this week, it is my privilege to welcome to the show, Eric Zimmer. Eric, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, Eric. Thank you for having me.
0: So I will forgive that your name is spelled with the more popular spelling of Eric, where, or at least I always felt that. Mine is Eric with a K, E-R-I-K. You're Eric with a C, -C. E-R-I-C. And, you know... Basically, every anytime I would go to a store that would have like a rack of keychains or a bunch right. of mugs, it was always E-R-I-C. It was never E-R-I-K. The
1: the C stands for correct in this case.
0: <laughs> well, and, you know, and I, the Eric with a K is more of like a, a Viking, you know, that's Scandinavian right. kind of that's name. Right. And, and, and I actually have some of that in me from my mom's side. And, you know, that's the strong Viking in me. I would always, that's right. you know. Gird my loins and say, well, that's fine. I'm that's just a stronger Eric
1: than the other. Right. That's right. So. The, we- the weaker German. Yeah. You got to have the strong Viking. Yes.
0: Yes. So. You, we, we talked about this. You, you've been doing your show for about five years now and it's called The One You Feed. Obviously there's meaning behind that name. And for people who aren't familiar with your show and don't know, you know, this parable, uh, if you will, that it comes from, I'd love for you to, you know, let's set up the context here. Let's talk about what this, this one, the one you feed, uh, what that comes from.
1: Sure. It's, a, it's an old parable, and it goes like this. There's a grandfather who's talking with his grandson. He says, in life, there are two wolves inside of us that are always at battle. One is a good wolf, which represents things like kindness and bravery and love, and the other is a bad wolf, which represents things like greed and hatred and fear. And the grandson stops and thinks about it for a second and looks up at his grandfather. And he says, well, grandfather, which one wins? And the grandfather says, the one you feed. So that's the that's the parable. Um like most good parables you kind of get it right when you hear it, but I use that parable as sort of a jumping off point with my guests. You know, I read that parable to them and I ask them what it means to them, you know, how does it, you know, how how does it reflect on their life and their work?
0: Yeah, and it's a really good, you know, I'll I'll use the word holistic kind of approach um to a lot of the same potential topics as we cover On this show, which is why, you know, it makes sense for you to come and talk about this uh, here, because I think in the end, that's what we're also trying to approach talking about uh, on here, just under the guise of personal productivity.
1: Right. I mean, ultimately, I think and you and I would probably agree on this that that a good life is is one in which you decide what's important to you and then you act according to that. I mean, I think that's the basics of it of, of what makes a, a life that's that's good and and that we would we would all say, yes, that's a that's a life that feels meaningful.
0: Yes, yes. So how in your personal life, do you go about, Feeding the good wolf, and and actually, before I ask that question, let me ask this one. <laughs> Let's pretend I didn't ask that. No, uh, <laughs> is there a a focus difference when it comes to this parable, and it comes to your perspective? You know, obviously, it talks. You you talk about the one that you feed, and obviously, that means you're not feeding the other one. But are you doing anything to like put the put the Uh, I mean, how do you refer to them? The good wolf and the bad wolf? Good wolf, bad wolf, sure. So do you put the bad wolf in a cage? (laughs) In other words, like, you know, you can kind of see what I'm getting at here is is you're you're not only reinforcing the positive of the good wolf by feeding it, but caging and or blocking off the bad wolf.
1: Well, I mean, I think it depends, you know, exactly what we're talking about, but it's one of the things I like about the parable is it doesn't actually say, you know, we have to, we have to cage the bad wolf or we have to beat the good wolf, right? It's or, or the bad wolf. It sort of says, hey, let's give more attention to the good wolf. And so again, it depends how you want to, you know, quote unquote, look at what the bad wolf is, right? If the bad wolf is the negative emotions that we feel, then, you know, I think that at least what I've come to learn is that trying to sort of shut off parts of ourselves completely or condemn parts of ourselves doesn't really work. And so in that way, I think, no, you don't put the bad wolf in a cage. If the bad wolf happens to be like it once was for me, like a heroin addiction, then yeah, that, that bad wolf probably could use a cage, right? Yeah. Um, you know, if your bad wolf happens to be your cell phone when you're trying to do work, then yes, maybe the cell phone needs to go away for a little while. So I think it really depends on the context in which we use it, but I think think that in general, I'm not a fan of like, you know, shutting off huge parts of ourselves or labeling emotions or different parts of ourselves as bad.
0: Yeah. And and I think, you know, ultimately, and we've kind of addressed this uh, in terms of focus and goals uh, previously on other episodes of the show, where essentially what we're talking about is, is if you focus in, if you pay attention to those negative things, if you uh, they even talk about this in the, uh, the Gallup, uh, strength finders where if you're focusing on your weaknesses, then you're always focusing on improving weaknesses, whether, uh, that means that you're focused on the F on the report card, uh, instead of the A's, you know, like think, like that right. was, I mean, we went, I went, I was, I was on a retreat, uh, recently with work and we went through Gallup, you know, Gallup's strength finders and the, the facilitator who was awesome made this statement. He said, and he asked this question. He says, your kid brings home a report card. It's all A's and one F. Which thing are you focusing on?
1: Mm-hmm. Yep.
0: And and he said, "Now here's the thing. The secret to bringing up the F is in the A's. You figure out the A's, how how the kid got those A's, and then reverse engineer slash dissect whatever that F, and then figure. You know, it it may be the teacher. It may be um." The subject matter, it may be whatever, but, but obviously they've proven they can do it. So that's, that was kind of the, 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 the line I was going at with, you know, with the dark wolf. And again, the dark wolf represents a lot of different things from, from gray down all, all the way down to like black hat, <laughs> you know, in evil. So, <laughs> right, right. you know, it's, I'm not saying like, well, let's, uh, let's, uh, starve the dark wolf. It's, if it is where like aggression lies, you know, like again, Aggression may not be a bad thing, and maybe sometimes you got to let that happen, but only maybe partner when partnered with the Goodwill to pull a sleigh metaphorically. I don't know. I'm <laughs> rambling here, but anyways, you get what I'm saying.
1: Yes, I do. I do. Yeah, I think it like I said I think it depends on kind of what context we're applying it mm-hmm. to how how you want to you know how you want to use that. And ultimately right it's a parable it's a metaphor it's going to fall short in lots and lots of cases.
0: Sure, yeah, it's it's, it's a simplicity kind of a of uh, you know of approach to uh, a, a giant perspective here. So, so let's flip sides here real quick and say, okay, so if we're moving forward in our life and we're like, you know what? Oh, that does resonate with me. I want to pay attention. I want to be intentional even in terms of feeding the good wolf, whatever that represents, uh, to me about me. How have you personally, uh, you know, obviously this resonates with you. You named your show this. How do you feed the good wolf personally for yourself?
1: For myself, it's, It goes back to what I said a few minutes ago, a little bit, which is identifying kind of what's important to me, what matters, and then making sure that I'm spending time and energy on those things. And so, I mean, for me, there are some basic things that that sort of feed my good wolf, and they won't be secrets to anybody who listens to any sort of personal development podcast these days, right? But things like exercise and meditation and eating well. and But those arrive to me out of having some experience that's, Sort of shows like those things help me to be the best version of myself. Um, you know my history as I you know briefly alluded to right at the age of twenty four I was a homeless heroin addict and so um, you know my bad wolf was was kind of out of control at, at one point. and so you know for me, obviously then feeding my good wolf, has to do with feeding my sobriety, with feeding my recovery. I've wrestled with depression throughout my adult life. So feeding my good wolf is how do I tend to that? How do I take care of that? Feeding my good wolf is kindness towards others and, um, you know, thinking about what other, what other people want. I mean, one of the, one of the things for me that has become apparent over the last number of years is that the the more myopic my perspective gets, and by myopic I mean the more it just focuses on me and how I'm feeling, then that's kind of the bad wolf for me, because the world kind of shrinks and shrinks and shrinks, and anything that helps increase my perspective and broadens it and makes it bigger, for me, in a lot of cases, tends to be feeding the good wolf.
0: And so you mentioned a couple of different methodologies that you're doing that with. I think it'd be great to, you know, again, maybe go into some of those. I think the one that, you know, of all of the different subjects that we've talked about on this show before, the one we haven't spent nearly as much time on uh, is that mindfulness and meditation practice. So I'd love for you to maybe give us a bit of an introduction into one, how did you come to start using that and, and what form and function does that take for you?
1: Well, I was originally introduced to Zen Buddhism when I was like 16 years old from a high school teacher, and it kind of fascinated me. And I think, you know, back then, what what sort of, to the extent that I understood it, which was not really well, to the extent I understood it, I got the idea that we tend to cause a lot of our own suffering. And so that for me, I think was, I, I kind of got that it, it sort of registered with me, and, and certainly as I got sober, you, you know, uh, eight years later, nine years later, um, that became really clear to me like, holy mackerel, I am sort of the architect of most of the suffering in my life and so buddhism sort of pointed away for me out of that and so and and that's where the mindfulness tradition such as we understand it in meditation the way most of us understand it sort of originates from it comes out of a buddhist tradition and it's been secularized to a great deal which is which is depending on who you ask is a good or bad thing in my mind it's a good thing um so that's kind of where it comes from and and you know, I feel like I'm sort of beating the, the, the drum again of kind of the thing I said early on. But if you look at the idea of, Hey, thinking about what's important to me and then making sure that that's how I'm actually spending my life is one way of looking at mindfulness, right? Mindfulness, if you want to take it incredibly literally means what is my mind full of? Mm. Right? What is, what is going on in my mind? What is it that I'm spending my time thinking about as I go about my day? What are the contents of my mind? Are they, are they, is it, is it constructive? Is it negative? Am I telling myself stories that are, that are helpful to me or am I telling myself stories that are hurtful to me? Um, so it, at its most basic, that's what, that's what mindfulness is. And then meditation is a, is a practice, right? Mindfulness would sort of be, what's my mind full of? Paying attention to what my mind is doing, being present, and meditation is sort of a, uh, for, for most people, is a focused version of that. I actually sit down and I do a meditation practice. Now, there are lots of different types of meditation practice. They seem to be proliferating, but most of them orient around an idea of you pick some sort of focus, So that focus could be your breath, that focus could be on the sensations in your body, that focus could be a mantra, it could be a phrase, right? But you pick some sort of focus, and then you try and pay attention to that focus, and inevitably your mind wanders off and starts thinking, and you realize, oh, there my mind is off wandering, let me come back to my focus. And you do that again and again and again. And it has all kinds of different benefits depending on, you know, what you're looking for. I mean, at its most basic, it strengthens concentration. Right, that's a basic concentration practice. It's like, I want to pay attention to this, my mind wanders, I come back. And so I slowly get a little bit better at paying attention to this thing. So if we want to look at it just from that perspective, strengthening concentration strengthens everything that we want to do there appears to be a lot of evidence that shows that meditation helps with reducing stress. So there's these very secular benefits of it. And then there is a deeper sense of it being a practice that helps us to see the truth or reality of life, which, again, we could go more into depending on how far into into Buddhist thought you want to go with that, right? But I think that it's a way of, if you start to see what your mind is full of, and you start to see the ways that your brain does the sort of same things over and over again, you start to sort of, you're able to sort of intuit the patterns of your mind. And if you can intuit the patterns of your mind, you're more likely to be able to see reality truly.
0: I mean, I I can't help but think that we've got this constant, like, like we've talked about, we even alluded to it earlier, one of the you know, the very gray areas of the dark or the the black wolf is this, uh, again, putting your phone in a cage, you know, and if we've constantly got, so, I mean, and I'm not saying every distraction comes from a phone, but it sure does help. And, you know, and in this modern age where we've forgotten how precious um, being bored can be, which is kind of almost a neutral state when compared mm-hmm. to uh, always on, or as I would maybe put in meditation, and again, this is subject to open judgment on any listener's part. I, I freely <laughs> accept it, uh, but meditation being almost an active um, stasis or stance in, you know, again, assessing what's on your mind and the active busyness on the other end of the spectrum being a kind of um, – active not thinking about what's on your mind in a, in a sense that that boredom in the center in that middle where you're not doing anything at all which actually can be very healthy um I, that's the that's the kind of spectrum that's kind of coming up in my mind as you say these things
1: yep makes sense totally
0: so and and, and you know for somebody again for somebody who is uh apprehensive maybe they've tried doing meditation at some point in the past. Like, what's a good way to enter into um, maybe getting past some of those uh, past learned objections or even just ones they've, they've held all along and never tried it before?
1: Yeah, I think it depends what the nature of those objections are, right? A very common one more and more these days, because most people have heard of meditation and have been intrigued enough about it that they're like, huh, okay, that seems like it might be worth doing. But what an awful lot of people will say is I can't do it. Right? Yeah. I can't meditate. I sit down to meditate and my brain is just so busy I can't quiet my mind, I can't meditate. Which is sort of missing the the I won't say the point. It's missing the the truth of it, which is that most nobody can do meditation if by what you mean is you silence your brain, right? One of the things that meditation will do if you actually do it earnestly and pay attention to it is what you will realize is you are not causing the thoughts to come. You'll sit down and you'll go, let me pay attention to my breath. Okay, I'm going to follow my breath. And then you're thinking. And then you're like, oh, goodness, here I'm thinking again. All right, let me follow my breath. And then you're thinking. And this happens over and over and over and over. And what this can be, you can take this one of two ways. You could take this as very bad news, right? You can go, oh, geez, you know, I'm terrible at this. Or you can sort of look at it and go, huh, well, if I'm not generating those thoughts, where are they coming from? What's causing the thought if I'm not causing the thought? Right? And you, you suddenly embark into a different relationship with your thoughts because we very much have this idea of there's this I and I think these things. Mm-hmm. But when you meditate, you realize that's not the way this is working. You're not consciously choosing, oh, now I'm going to think about my lunch. Oh, now I'm going to think about this project at work that's not done. Now I'm going to think about my mother-in-law. You're actively trying not to do that, and there they are, right? And so so I find that very interesting because I'm like, huh, if I'm not doing that, that's interesting. So it gives us a different relationship, and so the thing that I would say is really critical – for meditation for me. And this made a big difference for me because I tried to meditate on and off again for about 20 years. Um, and now I've been meditating pretty much daily for about six and a half years. And w- there were a couple of big differences, but, but one of the largest was I suddenly stopped judging success on whether I could stop my brain from thinking thoughts. Because if we think that the goal is that we shouldn't think. And because that's what you're trying to do in meditation, you're like, I'm trying to pay attention to my breath, and then I think. And then I'm trying to pay attention to my breath, and I think. What happens is that we go, I suck at this. And who wants to sit and do something that you fail at about every 15 seconds? Yeah. Right? And so the, a more useful way to think of it is to realize that that moment when your brain has wandered off and you have caught it, and then you bring it back to your anchor, that is meditation. It's the equivalent of a bicep curl. When you do a bicep curl, right, You, that's, the curl is you move from the bottom of the motion to the top. That's where the strength comes. Same thing in meditation. When you realize your mind has wandered and you bring it back to the object, that is the exercise. And it's gonna happen over and over and over again. And if you can sort of not see that as a failure, you're way more likely to meditate. Um, and stick with it because that's just kind of what brains do. And so really learning to have a different relationship to that is really helpful because most of us think we're failing. And when we feel like we're failing, like I said, we just don't want to do it. And so meditation becomes miserable for a lot of people. It becomes miserable because it's sitting there going, I can't keep my brain on this one thing. I'm failing. And so really changing that, that relationship is important.
0: I know this may seem antithetical to the cause of, and again, it may be what, you know, what's the approach that you're trying to come to learn slash use meditation for. Um, But I wonder, you know, there's, in other words, there's all these meditation apps out there and, mm-hmm. you know, I think there's, there's some worth in there Um that said, and, and, and there's even guided meditations and things like that. But, uh, you know, for, again, for somebody who is <laughs> in the self-help realm, there's not a there's not a um there's not a lack of the next thing to help you do the thing that you're missing in your life kind of a vibe. Right. You, you get what I'm yep. saying there. And so there can be a lot of confusion like, oh, no, I have to have an app. But I, I don't want to say an app wouldn't help. In fact, I've used an app and had mm-hmm. some help there. Um, What's your perspective on this?
1: Well, apps can be useful for a couple of different reasons, right? Ultimately, you don't need an app. All you really need is to sit down and walk, and you know, sort of do what I just described. But an app can be really helpful because it does a few things. It can provide you some encouragement on how to do it. It can remind you, like if you're sitting there and your mind has wandered off, and an app will occasionally someone will come in and say, "Hey." Remember, we're trying to pay attention to this, and you'll be like, oh, yeah, reminder. Okay, I come back to it. So apps can be can be helpful. They keep track of it, how much you've meditated, how long you've meditated, and that seems to be something that makes us more likely to continue, right? If we look at behavior change in general, tracking our progress is something that seems to help. So there are benefits of apps for sure, but they're cer- they're certainly not necessary either.
0: One of the ones that i've used um i'm using also for other things you may be aware of it or not it's called brain uh dot f m and I use it to help me focus or read or even i i've used it uh to help take naps <laughs> or mm-hmm. or sleep and I, and there's also meditation in there and you know and and the whole reasoning behind it is this the science of it's the sound uh production that helps you get to a a certain kind of um uh, let's say brain state, uh, uh-huh. quicker. Uh-huh. And so, you know, I kind of see it as partly a, a crutch to lean on in terms uh-huh. of meditation, but it's not guiding you. It's, it's still, it's still on you to do it, but it helps you get quote there quicker to then practice in that state. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's almost the way I look at it is, you know, you, you mentioned bicep curls earlier. This is almost like a treadmill in a sense mm-hmm. it's, you know it forces you to do it or or it helps you get there quicker because you you know you're standing on the treadmill and it's moving so you kind of have to move i guess is is kind of the way i'm putting it
1: right right yeah i mean and i think you know like i said meditation is such a broad um there's so many different ways of approaching it right you hear people say like well here's meditation music you can listen to here's guided meditations you know it kind of depends you know it's 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 useful to be a little bit more specific, you know, I'm giving a very broad treatment, right? Um, But, but the essence of it, you know, in its most basic state is, yeah, can you, can you find something that you sort of anchor on as something that you pay attention to when your mind wanders, you, you come back. And, and yeah, there are lots of different things out there that claim that help you to do this better i'm I was looking at you know there's these eeg headbands right that that yes. uh, read your brain waves right and they're supposed to tell you whether you're getting into a meditative state you know i i don't know um you know not quite sure what i what i think about the usefulness of that i you know i'm a big believer in like what works for you you know what works for you everybody's a little bit different
0: yeah. And even those, uh, being able to see, like, being able to vi- literally visualize, if, if it's in fact doing it, uh, visualize the, the brain state, like, hitting that, you know, threshold, certain threshold, I guess, is, is interesting to me, uh, in some senses, because it's almost like gamification of meditation at that mm-hmm, point, mm-hmm. you know?
1: not necessarily a bad idea.
0: No, not necessarily no because i mean if you, if you kind of are aware of what takes to get into, you know, i'll just say into the into that zone, uh, you know, for you personally mm-hmm. because of a tool, then by then having that foreknowledge, you can get there quicker. Again, maybe or easier, i don't know. I I you know, again, i'm i'm toying with i'm 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 hypothesizing here, so
1: Right. Right. Yeah. I think it really depends like what are the what are your goals with meditation or why are you doing it? Still
0: searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search Obviously, uh this is a productivity show, so we're talking about time and attention and energy. Uh well, we I guess in some senses we were just talking about attention when it comes to Mm -hmm. meditation, duh. But uh is there any way obviously feeding the good wolf, um, you know, you've got a one, remember to feed the wolf almost like a, a chore, but uh maybe not looking at it like a chore, but maybe looking at it as investing in yourself. Do you have any um you know, approaches that have worked best for you in terms of making sure you're blocking out the time as well as the energy to feed the good wolf for yourself.
1: Well, I think it's, you know, probably a lot of the, the, the basic ideas that you, you talk about here, which is sort of how do I, how do I capture what what's important to me and then how do I make sure I'm doing it, you know? And, and so, you know, I use, you know, I use a to-do list, I use Evernote, I have the to-do list in a certain, in a certain way that I, I do that. Um, I keep track of certain, you know, certain habits that I want to do on a regular basis. So I've kind of got a lot of those same structures that I think a lot of people who perform at some sort of high level have.
0: Are there certain habits that over time, you know, you've had to, I mean, obviously, having come from the the addictive past that you've had, that's stuff that you've overcome. So, you know, you'd had experience with that. But how about creating a brand new habit for yourself?
1: Yeah. I mean, I've created a, a, a bunch of habits and, and actually teaching people how to create new habits and behaviors is a big part of what I do in the coaching work that I do, which is like, okay, how do you actually create a new habit or behavior and make it stick? You know, I mean, for me, I sort of look at it as there's these basic fundamentals to me. Um, you know, my fundamentals and, and again, I think they're, they're pretty common, right? But the things that make it so that I can perform at a, at a higher level and, and live a life that's, that's happier. Those things are exercise, eating right, meditation, sleeping well. Um, you know, so, so those are the, I, I think of those as sort of the foundation behaviors for me that when I do those things consistently, I'm in a much better place to do all the additional things in life that are important to me.
0: Right, yeah, those are those are kind of the the foundational. You know, if you've put in the time to make sure you're doing those things, then you're operating out of optimum. I don't know, I'll say efficiency or attention. Uh, you know, you're not you're not tired. You're not you know you're not weak willed because you're tired. So you're able to follow through on uh, again consistently showing up for those new habits that you're wanting to build.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, those things for me are, are kind of fundamental to, to being able to do that. Like I've said before, I mean, partially, you know, those are what I think is interesting about that suite of habits I just recommended is they seem to be fairly well indicated across a whole bunch of different things. Are you concerned about your physical health? Good. Those things are all recommended for, for good physical health. Are you worried about your, uh, mental health? You know, th- cognitive health? great those things are all indicated for for that are you worried about your emotional health depression or anxiety those things are all indicated for that and so i like them because they they sort of have a very wide applicability and 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 so then it's like i don't necessarily have like 15 things i have to do for my physical health and 15 things i have to do for my cognitive health and 15 things i have to do for my mental and emotional health right there they they kind of cover a lot of bases those 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 sort of Pillars.
0: Well, and they and they carry a lot of uh, let's just say perme uh, permeating uh, positive qualities that then feed into all the other things, you know. And and they even yeah. have a, a synergy uh, of working together. Like if you're talking sleep and you're talking uh, diet and physical activity, all working together, then suddenly, hey, if you were trying to get in, like as we we're talking about earlier, getting to a habit of meditating because you're not. Fatigued in your mind and your body and your, uh, I guess even your spirit, uh, you're going to find that the ability, even if you're a newbie to it, you're going to find that being able to have a thought arise and then bring your mind back. It's, it's going to, it's going to be easier than, than it would have when you're fighting all these other exterior forces or interior Absolutely. forces for that matter
1: absolutely i think that's very well said
0: so i mean obviously those are some some bare-boned uh not bare-boned those are some those are some foundational uh habits there for sure that kind of you know they they create that solid foundation to then you know build other good habits upon there's also the factor of environment and how that mm-hmm. plays into, you know, our habits. Uh, can you talk to me a little bit more about that? Like, how do you, when you know there's there's new habits you're trying to create, or you're, t- you're talking with uh, your clients about building new habits, uh, how do you help them, you know, basically have wisdom or a discerning uh, eye towards their environment as to what, and again, this goes right back into feeding the good wolf, and mm-hmm. uh, there is And it even goes back to what I was talking about earlier, a little bit about caging the bad wolf uh, in terms of setting up a proper environment for habits.
1: Right. Well, I think there's a basic principle, which is just that if there's something you want to do more of how can you make it as easy as possible to do it? Eliminate as many steps between you and that behavior as possible. And if you wanna make something harder to do, put as many barriers between you and that action as you can. So, I mean, that's the basic principle that kind of applies everywhere. So, depending on what it is you want to do, you sort of look at that and and try and design it. And when you start talking about some of this stuff, some of it is so stupidly obvious, right? But still, really important, you know? So, like, I'm a, I'm a guitar player, right? And so, having my guitar out on a stand versus in its case makes a big difference. Now, my brain tells me it shouldn't. My brain tells me, like, that's ridiculous. It takes all of about 45 seconds to open the guitar case, to take it out, and to put it in your hands, right? So, we're talking about a minute difference between it being on a stand and in a case, and yet. I play it a whole lot more when it's just sitting on the stand than I do when it's in the case, right? And so that's an obvious example. You know, if you don't want to eat junk food, don't have any in the house. Again, sort of an obvious example, but we'd be surprised how often people don't do that. So, you know, when you're thinking about, like, building a habit or building a new habit or, or, or getting rid of a bad habit, right? There's, there's different factors that come into play. Um, motivation and, 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 and the emotion of it is one of them. But the other is how easy or hard is it to do, right? And that's a whole lot easier to work with and change than necessarily your emotional state or your motivation. So you're well served to spend more time on the environmental aspects of it, you know, really Design the environment as much as you can to support whichever of those two directions you're going.
0: It's not just getting the guitar that's in its case out from, say, a closet or wherever it's properly put away, you know, but it's having the guitar already out. And, you know, how, how much time does it, I mean, estimate how much time does it take to take it out of the case in all actuality? 30 seconds?
1: Something like that. Yeah. yeah 30 seconds to a minute. It's not very much.
0: But that amount. Of time isn't necessarily something that we're thinking about in terms of the barrier to frequently uh,
1: practicing. Right. Yeah, I'm often amazed. You know, like there there's a lot of times when it comes to exercise, it feels like to me that like getting my gym clothes on is a barrier. Right. Like, which is ridiculous, but. Still, that's, you know, we are more animal than we think in a lot of ways, right? And, and so, you know, all these little things, you know, it, it, you think of them as, as points of friction, right? you eliminate the, all those little points of friction and you're a lot more likely to, to do something. I mean, with me and the guitar, it's like, do I have a tuner that's clipped to the guitar? Again, more likely that I'm going to pick it up and play it. Cause if I look at the guitar, I'm like, I bet it's not in tune. I wonder where the tuner is. Right. I mean, all those little things, you know, and I, I often say that, you know, um, that, that, You know, when you have, when you have more steps to go through, you're just a lot less likely to do it, which again, you can use to your benefit if you're trying to get rid of a habit, but it really acts in your disadvantage if you're trying to build one. And so there is really intelligent design of your environment. And your environment is, you know, things like we just talked about, like whether the guitar is in the case or on the shelf, but your environment is also who is uh, supporting you. How are you reminded to do things? Um, you know, what are your prompts for doing it? There's lots of, there's lots of levels to this that, that can be, that can be worked through. And, and I tend to think of behavior changes having sort of, and when I work with somebody, I look at it from, from two regards, right? I First, I look at what I call sort of the basic blocking and tackling. And this is things like, do I know when I'm going to do it? Do I know where I'm going to do it? Have I deconstructed it into a small enough activity that I know exactly what to do? Is it a small enough activity that it's not overwhelming? Do I have people supporting me? Do I have the right prompts? All that kind of stuff. I think of it as like the, the very tactical blocking and tackling. And then there's the whole emotional aspect of it, and this is things like motivation, um, and and all that stuff. And so I always say, like, let's get the let's get the first part of that solved, get the the blocking and tackling done. Then once we have all that very well arranged, then we are able to, if there are still blocks, we're able to identify those a whole lot more easily. But most people never get to that point. You know, very vague, and and I'm sure you talk about this often, very vague intentions aren't very good, right? It's one thing to be like, man, I really should exercise more this week. Like, that's a very vague intention. On the other hand, on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning at 7.30 a.m., I am going to step outside and and run around the block two times, that's specific, right? And then if I have a prompt at 7.30 in the morning to tell me it's time to do it, then if I don't do it, okay, now we go, all right, well, it looks like I kinda set everything up to give me every chance of doing it. If I'm not doing it, okay, now maybe I do need to look at motivation or competing priorities or, or, or other things. But, but it's important to get that first step done before we get into trying to troubleshoot other things. But most people go exactly the opposite. They don't do that basic stuff, and then when they don't do the habit, they go, I'm just not motivated, or I'm lazy, or I'm, right? And, and so it makes a lot of sense to start with environment and then work our way back to and, and end with what's going on with us motivationally, emotionally, et cetera, instead of starting from the assumption that that's where the problem is.
0: Now, say we've got a good habit already in place. And, you know, by all intentions, it means it's almost, you know, muscle memory. We don't have to, we don't overthink it. We just do it. We've gotten to that point. Uh, but we all know we've had good things in our life, good habits in our life uh, to that point, but had over time uh, an erosion uh, where we aren't as consistent and then we're not consistent at all. And then yep. we kind of give it up. Uh, how can we protect against that?
1: Well, I think that one of the important things is to realize that there is not any degree of perfection, right? So inevitably... My experience is that whatever we're trying to do, we're not going to do perfectly. But a lot of us have some sort of all or nothing thinking, right? So we're going along and we're doing well. We're running on a, you know, we're running, you know, five days a week and that feels really good. And then next week comes and we have to travel for work and we miss a couple days or our kid gets sick and we miss three days, right? And then what happens to a lot of us is that we start to have a lot of negative talk around that. Like, oh, geez, I didn't run this week at all. See, I knew I really can't stick with anything or, and it slowly, we slowly sort of were were shocked by the fact that we slipped. Instead of going, oh, yeah, that's perfectly normal. How do I get back on this just as soon as I can, right? So I think expecting That we're not going to do perfect is really important. So for example, I talk about like meditating daily and eating right and exercising regularly. My goal is about 90% adherence. So if my goal is to exercise six days a week, my, you know, what I'm really after is if I'm doing that about 90% of the time. But if I'm doing that 90% of the time, day after day, week after week, you know, month after month, year after year, that's real where real transformation occurs. But if I'm expecting perfection, then when I fail, I'm very disappointed. And disappointment leads us to start to move away from things. And so it's kind of normal that there's going to be some waxing and waning. It's important to kind of keep an eye on it and go, okay, well, boy, the last few days I haven't done very good. So it's really important that I try and get back to it today. So I think that's one major piece of it. Uh,
0: so it seems like there's potentially a, a, a gap to bridge there between, um, Consistency and aiming for, like, for example, you're saying, uh, you know, with physical activity, let's just say you're aiming for 90%. And so, if we were going to say there's seven days in the week and 90%, let's just say that that's six days or five and a half. I, five, mm-hmm. I, I don't know how you half work out on one day, but whatever. Uh, so let's just say six six days, let's round up. And so, if out of those seven days, if you're going in with the intention that you're going to hit 90%, you may hit less than that potentially like uh, you know for, because for example if if sunday through saturday each day say on sunday you're like uh okay well and I, and I I'm kind of answering my own question as I say this out loud so bear with me I I figure things out as I talk that's why I'm <laughs> that's why we're podcasters um <laughs> if if say sunday I'm like oh well 90% means I can skip today then monday I better do it or I've now already gone down to 75% or, or whatever the, I, you know, again, not working out the math here literally. Yep. But, um, what I'm trying to get at here is are you aiming for 100% and yes. accepting 90 or are yep. you aiming for 90 and then it starts to fall apart?
1: No, I'm aiming for 100. You know, if I'm saying I'm going to exercise six days a week, my goal is to exercise six days a week. And that's what I aim for. Right. But I don't look at it a week at a time necessarily. Right. Because, again, I'm looking at long term sustained change. So if my goal is to work out six days a week. Right. And uh, there's 52 weeks in a year. Right. That's 312 days a year. Right. And so if I want to hit You know, uh, 90% of those, that's 280, which means there's something about 30 days a year, you know, once a month or so, uh, or, you know, a couple times a month that I miss. But I'm shooting for every day, but I'm accepting that things happen, right? Mm. So it's not so much like, hmm, well, I can still be at 90 if I don't work out today. It's that life inevitably gets in the way. Right. With all the best intentions, like, you know, a lot of your listeners probably have children. If you have children, something is going to happen that is going to disrupt your best laid plans. If you have parents, I have elderly parents, right? Something is going to happen that is going to disrupt my best laid plans. And I'm planning to work out today. And you know what? Mom has to go to the doctor. Okay. Well, I did the best I could. But what happens is if we are looking at perfection, then when I have to take mom to the doctor two days in a row and I fall off my habit, I start some, there starts to be some subtle, um, negativity that starts to creep in. And I think I'm failing. I'm screwing up. I'm not doing well. I was, whereas if I go, you know what? There's going to be some of that. I don't take it so badly. Right. And, and one of the things with building a, a good habit, right, is you want to really celebrate when you do well you we change uh, there's a researcher out of stanford bj fogg who who writes a lot about how to change behavior and and he has a phrase that i like he says we change best by feeling good not by feeling bad right and so we feel we're more likely to do something when we feel like we are being successful at it right and so um if we start to feel like we're failing because we missed a couple days this week because of, because of having to take mom to the doctor, that often leads into a self-fulfilling prophecy where we would go, see, I couldn't stick with it. I knew I wouldn't be able to stick with it. I was doing good. And now I'm screwing up. And that negativity drops our motivation, right? And so that's kind of more what, the way I'm speaking of it.
0: Well, and these things all feed back round, uh, on themselves as you feed the good wolf back when we were originally talking about meditation, where that then helps, uh, you know, with sleep, helps with physical activity, helps with uh, diet. And again, all it, making some progress in any one of those areas then starts to spill over into the other areas, which then reinforces the other areas again and vice versa and so on and so forth. And so, uh, again, making some progress and then having the right mindset for when, you know, uh, that, so for when that, that, that negative self-talk, uh, comes up, then you, you've got almost, it's almost like building a force field <laughs> in a way. Yeah. You know? Yeah.
1: For sure. For sure.
0: Uh, yep. Man, we could go on for a lot longer. Uh, I think what's best is I just direct people over to your show <laughs> so they can continue <laughs> the conversation and the conversations that you're having with others on this very topic. So, um, where's the best place for people to go check out your show? Other than, I guess, obviously they look up the one you feed in their podcast player of choice.
1: Yeah, that's the best way to get the podcast. If you want to uh, go to our website and learn more about the coaching work or other stuff we do, you can go to one you feed.net and it's all spelled out. O-N-E-Y-O-U-F-E-E-D.net.
0: Perfect. Eric, so glad to have you on the show and uh, fascinating conversation. And uh, let's pick it up again sometime soon.
1: Yeah, thank you so much, Eric, for having me on. I really enjoyed talking with you and and really respect the work that you do.
0: Well, that's another podcast crossed off your podcast listening to-do list. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation with Eric Zimmer. And as you were listening, you were thinking of ways to feed your good wolf. And if you can think of somebody else who needs to hear this podcast episode. I would love for you to do me the favor of sharing this with that person or persons. Just hit the share button on your podcast player app of choice that you're listening to this on, or head over to the show notes for this episode at beyondthetodolist.com slash 301. Make sure to subscribe if you're not already. And thanks again for sharing. Thanks again for listening. And I'll see you next episode. Thanks for listening to the end. you're looking for a show to start helping you apply these productivity lessons on your business, check out Millionaire University. It's real lessons from real entrepreneurs teaching you what you need to know to improve your business or start one if you've been putting it off. It covers all aspects of business from starting, marketing, growing, managing, and everything in between, wearing all the hats. And as an added bonus, I am conducting a number of those conversations, those interviews, so you'll fit right in. Again, that's Millionaire University. Just search for it in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast.